hello there, everyone. It's Hunt back with another episode of Tabletop Recap, where fate knocks on your door. Uh, I'm sad to say it's just me today. Um, so my area has not been struck with COVID very much. I live in a very small, very rural town that no one from the big cities ever comes to. So all the big cities around me are getting heavily... I'm having a stroke. Are getting heavily infected. But my town doesn't really have any cases. My county as a whole only has two, and it's been stagnant at that number. But still, we haven't really been playing D&D. We haven't really been doing anything. A lot of the episodes I've been uploading are just episodes I've had, because sometimes we'll make multiple episodes in one sit-down, or like make an episode, take a break for a snack, make an episode, game a little bit, make an episode, you know, like that. And that way I just, in case we can't have a game night or something, I always have several episodes to pull from. Well, uh, starting to run out of episodes to pull from, so I started, I would, I would make one explaining kind of how it has been with the COVID. Uh, we were still making it when it started, but now it's getting pretty bad, and it looks like it's going to be even worse uh, for a month or two, which is very not Gucci Gang, very un-Gucci Gang even, anti-Gucci Gang. But uh, I wanted to just release this and say we're still going to have regular episodes coming out, even if I have to do an episode like this that's just me every once in a while. The ones that are just me will probably just be... Uh, stories, story time episodes. Uh, so first I want to talk about my time playing the Star Wars role-playing game. It was basically Dungeons and Dragons, but Star Wars. Uh, and it was really fun. In, in many ways, I enjoyed it more than Dungeons and Dragons, but that's mostly just because I'm more of a sci-fi guy. Like, I just wrote this homebrew campaign that's almost entirely sci-fi. Like, it even has computers that are run by magic and stuff. Uh, because I didn't want to make a whole new... I wanted to keep the magic stuff intact because my friends are all big high fantasy nerds and I didn't want to do a sci-fi only campaign and then be like, where's my magic? I want my magic. Uh, so I, I left magic in there. I kind of like the magic sci-fi blend anyways. But uh, once again, these stories... I played as a soldier in the Star Wars role-playing game and a bounty hunter. I was really a, a bit of a chaotic neutral, I suppose. In fact, I love that character so much and only got to play with him for a day. All these stories are from the same day, and uh, I never got to play as him again, so I'm actually basing my new Lizard Folk character off of him, uh, my new Urban Bounty Hunter Lizard Folk, because I was using Soldier to work up to Bounty Hunter, so uh, to get anyone to have me do anything, like my own party would have to pay me to go on quests with them, because I, uh, I was a Bounty Hunter mercenary, and that's what I, I had to have gold, or I wouldn't go. So our first quest was kind of like an introductory little just short, short thing where we had to, uh, where we were basically getting our weapons licenses. Like you bring your weapon with you and then you get licensed for it so that you can use it in Star Wars. And this was on Coruscant, I think. And as we were doing that, some guys showed up and were like, hey, you're gonna get you're going to all get on the ground and we're going to be bad guys and we're going to kidnap the Chancellor who's also in this building. Uh, but we're coming in on this floor because it has ship access and the Chancellor's floor doesn't because he's the Chancellor. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, 
I pretty much do it by myself. Like, there's one big bad that comes with him, and then there are a bunch of goons, and my character takes the big bad by himself without using his weapons. Like, I take the guy out without using my weapons. And my comrades do too. They don't use their weapons. And I just pummel this guy. And there's one part where he's trying to get away, jumps over the edge, and my character immediately jumps over the edge to follow him. Doesn't even check. I was just like, if he's jumping off the edge, uh, there must be something down there. So I'm going to jump off after him. And we did. We both landed on a ship that was rising up. I pummeled him off the ship back onto the ground and got him into custody. And my character did this for free. It was more to defend himself, but he did ask for a reward after. Uh, but then the Chancellor came out and was like, Wow, great job. You're heroes. This was Chancellor Valorum, the one before Palpatine, whoever that was. I think it was Valorum, uh, which was really, really cool. And... Uh, our GM told us afterwards, it's like, you were supposed to just use your weapons and be forgiven because you saved everyone, but good job punching them. <laughs> and then we got our bigger quest that we did spend the whole day playing. Um, we had our GM, me, and two friends. Uh, one was like some kind of gray Jedi. I don't remember. One guy played a gray Jedi. I don't remember what our female friend played, but I, I was playing the same guy. And they had to pay me to go on the quest with them to rescue this uh, princess. And when we get to the bad guy, he's like, hey, I know you. You have a reputation, bounty hunter. And the final boss offers to pay me to turn on my friend's and help him uh, get away with the prince. And he, he, he pays me to defeat my friends. That's all he paid me for. I accepted the contract. Defeated my entire party single-handedly. My entire party. Defeated. <laughs> and uh, then the villain paid me. And I was like, so the contract's fulfilled? And he was like, yes, the contract's fulfilled. And then I killed the final boss single-handedly and saved the princess. So I fulfilled both my contracts without breaking either. Which I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever done. <laughs> Because I haven't done anything cool in real life, but uh, in games, I'm a, I am really cool. So I defeat them. Uh, we saved the princess, and she's like, "Oh, blah 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 blah. Thank you. Wow, that was impressive. You're an impressive guy." And that's uh, I just had an impressive bounty hunter character. I guess soldier it was either a really good, like fighting class, or I don't really remember. I don't know much about the game, but uh, it was really cool. But now we're actually going to do something uh, a little bit different. I don't know if I'm going to make this a new segment or not. I kind of just asked some people to give me some uh, gaming stories. Uh, the first one actually comes from a personal friend of mine, my friend Steven. Uh, you might have seen him on YouTube. He and I used to make YouTube videos together a lot. Uh, but he's a regular 
Dungeon Master in Dungeons and Dragons. He's played pretty consistently since we were in Dungeons and Dragons Club together in high school. Uh, and he actually had a pretty cool story to share. Uh, let me read it for you guys. Would you like that? Would you like that? Yeah, you would. So, this is from my boy Steven. <clears throat> this is one of my all-time favorites. We were playing 5e and just hit level 7. I was very excited for all my new spells as a cleric. One of our many plot hooks we were chasing down was to investigate the old ruins of a village where someone or something was kidnapping kids or doing some evil stuff. Well, despite our DM warning us a few times that this was out of our league, we figured we could just sneak in, get some of the kids, and get out. Better than leaving them all to be eaten or whatever was going to happen to them. We see that the witch has some sort of treehouse, like Baba Yaga style. <laughs> oh, Baba Yaga style! Hey, witchy lady! <laughs> but we press on anyways and see the kids in cages on the limbs. We didn't expect the tree to be alive. Trees are generally alive, but he means... He means animated. It starts whacking and thwacking. We start taking way too much damage. The witch shows up in hut and starts casting spells and telling us she's going to eat us and use our livers to make herself look young. All that witchy stuff. We're looking desperate. Several people are knocked out and the witch is about to give some monologue and I finally give in and decide it's time to bust out a new spell. I ask my DM in a, in a seemingly innocent question. Hey, is that tree a living creature? They said yes, and I cast my spell. Banishment. By the luck of the dice, the tree creature is now banished to the Shadow Realm for a few turns. The witch is without her house, and we feel the tide turning. A few more rounds of combat, and she's burned most of her good spells. We're still about to die. And I realize that she's moved into the spot where her house used to be. And I tell the DM I drop my concentration on banishment. The evil witch dies with Oz Flair as her own house pops back into existence above her and crushes her. To this day, it's still the coolest thing I've ever done. And even two years later, all those players still talk about it. Wow, that's, that's really a good story. I really like that. That's fun. That's, that's quirky. I really like dropping stuff on people, so that story really... uh. That story really, really appeals to me. But uh, there was one other story uh, that I need to get to. Uh, this one was given to me by Furry Combat Wombat, which is a great username. Absolutely a fantastic username. The most usery of usernames. And uh, let's read their story, shall we? Okay, so here is what was sent to me by Furry Combat Wombat. My first D&D &D character... Brayers, the fighter, decided to separate from the party right before a fight with some kobolds. He ended up fighting kobolds himself. He had the high ground, so he figured that lobbing his crowbar would kill at least one. Turns out physics aren't quite the same in terms of force, as it dealt two damage to the one kobold it did hit. He died soon after from being overrun by kobolds. Ugh, who gets killed by kobolds, dude? The second character, Brayers Jr., was a rogue. His goal in life was to avenge his father's death. The party was ambushed by a group of bow-wielding goblins. The goblin that shot first and surprised us randomly targeted Brayers Jr. got a crit, 
knocked Breyers Jr. unconscious, and then BJ proceeded to fail a death save and then roll a nat one on the next. He was not a lucky fellow. Sounds like an unlucky bloodline to me, to be completely honest. My third character, years later, was Sam the Bard. I was starting to actually understand how the game works by this point. However, one session, I wasn't paying too much attention. The party was sneaking up to a guy's house who was suspected of something. Then the DM asks what Sam will do. I reply, I'll go up and knock on the door. I got an inspiration for this and Sam became known as the Knocker. <laughs> Sounds like fate. Uh, he also became known as the one that almost dies every session. Also like fate, are you kidding me? Sam had fallen unconscious every single session with combat, and every time he recovered, he had better luck. To combat this, the party eventually found an item that automatically stabilized the holder when they fall unconscious. That seems like some homebrew thing that was made just for him, or something put in just for him at the very least. My fourth through six characters didn't do much better. They included a paladin, a warlock, and a ranger. My seventh character, however, he was quite a fellow. I introduce... Arthur, the orc fighter. His backstory? He grew up cleaning weapons after orc raids. When he turned 16, he was invited to his first raid. During this, he learned the evils of his tribe, killing innocents. Arthur single-handedly killed the entire raiding party, including his own father. His life goal is the genocide of any and all orc kind, including himself, once the job is done. Sounds like Kamen Rider Amazon Alpha. This character was introduced during a conflict against a Mind Flayer. He was stuck in a prison cell. His strategy, to escape! He tried to blend in with the back wall so the guards would open the cell to look for him. Nat 20 stealth for literally standing against a back wall. A Nat 20 was also rolled later in the session to seduce the Mind Flayer. The Mind Flayer let the party go and gave them all implants that gave them psionic powers along with silvering the claws of our Taxbaxi party member. Tabaxi party member, sorry. Wow. Good job. Then my first time DMing a campaign, one of my players rolled a nat 1 on using a scroll of magic dampening. The thing is, I never told him to roll. It was just supposed to work. Not anymore. It ended up destroying all the party's magical stuff. In the same campaign, there was a theme of people accidentally being too strong. A party member tried to pat a young knoll on the head to comfort it. He rolled a nat 20 strength and accidentally killed it. What? I kind of feel... Uh. A party member made a lame joke, so another party member slapped him, rolled a nat 20, and knocked him unconscious. That sounds similar to something else I'm going to tell you guys later. In that same campaign, a character was attacked by some half-elves. Now you would wonder what the logical continuation of this is. However, the player decided that they would start a genocide against half-elves and got the whole town behind him with a high charisma roll. He also had a literal adult red dragon on his side. Dude, if the chromatic red dragons are working with you, you're in the wrong, bud. If the chromatic dragons... Not chromatic. Uh, yeah, chromatic dragons are working with you. You're in the wrong. I think I'm right. Which dragons are the good ones? The metallic dragons are the good ones, right? Okay, I'm a I'm, I'm dumb. I'm actually dumb. But uh, that's that. But we also played kind of... We did a beta test for my first homebrew and first time DMing. I wrote a homebrew campaign called Soria The Lost World that I do plan on playing with my group. 
However, I want to run my other homebrew campaign. My, the way I'm going to run my campaigns are I'm running a homebrew called um, Woman in the Fog first. So it starts them at level one. And then the level one through three campaign, uh, the Rick and Morty one, that's basically a starter set. I'm going to get that so I have my own DM screen and dice and stuff because I just use my friend's dice because I'm a little moocher. Why buy dice if they have hundreds of sets, you know? They're, they're goblins. They're little goblin dragon hoarders. Uh, <laughs> and we also have uh, my Story of the Lost World quest, which will be played after. One, because one of the players who beta tested it uh, is going to play it later as well for the podcast and for our regular group because he's in that, Big Boy Chungus. Uh, but he did play with us as well. And I'm going to go ahead and tell the story of that because we finished it yesterday. It was two sessions, but it probably should have been one. I just write quick ones because, one, I'm used to writing short stories. And, two, uh, I actually prefer to play over DMing. Uh, I would much rather play. So my all my DMing stuff is short because my group, we circle. So started it off, and we played with Joe from the Project Godzilla YouTube channel. Um, cool guy. So... I'm just going to give you the highlights and not the full story. Uh, so if you are going to play Sorry of the Lost World, I'm talking to you specifically, Karen and Kami, uh, you probably shouldn't listen any further than this. Because Saria is going to be... I don't, if you don't want any spoilers, there might be some spoilers in this. So, they, uh, they, they went to the island after talking to my... NPC, which is called Old Greg. He's based on the uh, merchant from Resident Evil 4. <laughs> Thank you. What are you boying? That kind of thing. <laughs> so he got the quest from them. He's going to be my regular quest dealer for my group. Uh, he's part of a he's part of a certain race that I can't disclose yet. There's actually a homebrew race I'm working on that I'm going to let Karen, the manager slayer, in on because I think she wants to have one in her campaigns too. Uh, so we're going to, I'm going to try to get a see if we can make that race together. But uh, he sends us to the island of Soria, also known as the Lost World, kind of a prehistoric island. And it's got some unique politics where there's dinosaur people who keep the peace between the reptilian people and the bird people. So there's the Saurian village, the bird folk village, which is kind of just a homebrew bird species because I didn't want to use any of the actual ones. Uh, lizard folk village and a turtle village. And the birds are all, like, very bright and colorful. Uh, the Saurians look like they're made of many different dinosaurs. Like, they, they kind of have T-Rex-ish bodies, but with Stegosaurus spines. Tiny little Triceratops horns on some of them, and an Ankylosaur club on the end of their tail. The lizard folk are kind of regular lizard folk. The turtles look like alligator snapping turtles, so that they look a bit more prehistoric. And that's basically the races that are on the island. But we were called there because automatons, like these, this robotic race, is attacking the island. Uh, so that's why the two of them were called there. They took up the quest to either uh, talk the automatons into leaving or fight them into leaving. Uh, because the Saurians are a 100 million year old race. And they don't want to lift their claws in violence uh, because they haven't done it as a species in millions of years and hope to never have to. And their presence is kind of what keeps the lizard folk and bird folk from eating each other, literally, because they each see the Saurians as a common ancestor. So the lizard folk and the bird folk uh, 
kind of get along for the Saurians' sake. The Saurians are a very strong presence on the island. They basically give, they basically give the island a unique, a, a stable government, uh, and then all the others just kind of give them tax, but they don't use gold or anything on the island. The tax is paid by like food, uh, leather goods, magical items, etc. And each village like produces its own thing. Like the Saurian village produces the government. The Turtle Village produces crops, fish, and magic. The Bird Village produces fish, as well as uh, artisan things, like artsy stuff. <laughs> they're, they're the artisans. They make a lot of uh, clothing as well. For the species that actually wear clothing. Saurians don't wear clothing. And lot most of the lizard folks only wear clothing that's for hunting. Uh... And then the lizard folk produce all the meats and furs and stuff. As well as fish. They kind of all produce fish, but they fish on different sides of the island, so they have different types of fish. If that makes sense. I thought it's a dinosaur, so I put way too much thought in it, into it. But, uh... So, the first NPC they talk to is a female, and she's actually when they get there, the very first being they see, but they've never seen a Saurian before because they only exist on this island, my homebrew dinosaur species. So they do perception on her. Joe doesn't see anything, but Big Boy Chungus notices that she winks at him. And I did that so that he would get the hint she was sentient so that they could talk to her and get directions. That was the point. But then they kind of assumed she was flirting with him. And I was like, that's funny. Now I'm going to make her flirt. So she ended up flirting with him the whole campaign. She uh, pointed out the village to them and they had more interactions of her later on. Her name was Orga. Uh, which is straight from Godzilla, absolutely. Uh, so are the Saurians. They're based on Godzilla himself for how their main design. But uh, they go to the Saurian village, talk to the elders. He gives them the quest. They go to the lizard folk village. Uh... And the guard won't let them in. And he has a big domesticated T-Rex named Guanji from the Valley of Guanji. Which is a film that I really enjoy. And uh, he's like, I'm supposed to kill this beast in the swamp by the village that keeps breaking down our perimeter fences. Uh, so I need you to defeat this creature and then I'll let you in. Because he was kind of just a lazy guard. Uh, so they go and they defeat the creature, which kind of kicked their butts, to be completely honest. They were close to being done. It's supposed to be a relatively hard encounter, but I think it was a little harder than I expected it to be. Uh, but it all worked out. Because I wrote this campaign for three players, and I beta tested it with two. Because the third one, she dropped out because it was her birthday, and she was going to play, and I was going to give her a special birthday item called the Divine Kitchen Knife which is a kitchen knife that cut a god's birthday cake. So it does normal dagger damage, plus five against demons. And when you pull it out of someone's body, blood and viscera turns into confetti as it comes out of them. <laughs> which uh, was a great idea. Big Chungus and I wrote that uh, item together. Uh, my The birthday cake and the plus five to demons was my idea, but the confetti was all him, and that's easily the best part. So they defeat this creature, uh, and then 
the guard lets them in, and then they're looking for a guide to take them through the rest of the island, because it's thick jungle, and the Saurians have trouble moving on anywhere that's not on a direct path, because they're so large. They're like 12 feet tall and very wide. They're thick boys and girls. So they get... So I didn't expect them to find a guide. I just expected them to get directions. So as a DM, I had to improvise an NPC, and his name was Bone Tooth Scale Skin, and he's literally just Crocodile Dundee, but a lizard folk. <laughs> he's literally just Crocodile Dundee. And he was the only lizard folk that was actually nice to them, but they were paying him, so... Because lots of the lizard folk on that island are kind of racist against mammals. All the other species on the island aren't, but... The lizard folk are. So, uh, they get their guide, and he takes them past... He takes them under the bird village, because it's up in the trees. And the bird village, like, since they're artisans, whenever their feathers fall off, they use their brightly colored feathers to decorate their homes and make arts and crafts. So they have all these beautiful, vibrant, rainbow-colored houses in the trees. They did not stop at the bird village, which is fine, because I really don't have much for them to do with the bird village. Uh... They walked by the Tortle Village and saw an NPC named Jeff the Chef, but they did not talk to him. Um, and they couldn't go in the main Tortle Village because it's covered by a dome. Because when turtles get scared, what do they do? They hide in their shells. So that's what the dome is, a shell for their whole village. Uh, so the only thing that can pass through the shell is a turtle. So they wouldn't have been able to see the village unless um, there was some crazy Nat 20 situation or... One of them could shapeshift into a turtle or was playing as a turtle. So then they head uh, all the way over to the automaton camp. They eventually find the automaton camp. And there are these big uh, walkers with net guns guarding two, guarding the two entrances close to the beach. Because those you can kind of go around uh, if you're in the water. But the entrance in the middle isn't guarded. It just has this specialty automaton lock which Joe was able to pick, and once they get inside, they stealthed past every single automaton guard. But they failed their stealth when they were by a automaton who was loading boxes from a ship into a warehouse. There was a big warehouse in the center. And when he saw them, he rolled really low. I wanted to roll to see what he would think of them, and I rolled a two, which means, oh, he thinks they're recruits. So he was like, oh, are you new recruits? And by this time, they had already done a really... They had an Arcana check of like 27 and realized that the robots actually had living souls in them. And as it turns out, um, the robots are actually powered by living souls that are volunteered to be put into the robots' bodies. So these robots are technically living creatures from a certain point of view. They have emotions and everything. So they just kind of walk past him, say they're new recruits. They even get him to give them directions. They sneak past the two guards in the warehouse, deactivate the leader robot, who looks just like the other robots but has a big red stripe painted on him, deactivate him. Then they get to their big magic computer, which controls the souls. Uh, and this computer is designed to put roles to put souls into automaton bodies from flesh bodies and also move souls from one automaton body to a different automaton body. So if you need a digging automaton to be a soldier automaton, you can put them in a different body. Well, they uh, 
they used the computer because Joe had some crazy arcana. Like, he put everything into arcana. They used the computer to take all the souls out of all of the automatons on the island and put them in the computer. So any scouting parties, everyone in the camp, and everyone on the four boats that were on the shore, the four big metal automaton boats, were all trapped in the computer. The automatons are defeated. The quest is over. Or so you would think. These idiots... <laughs> think there must be a boss battle on the boats because we didn't see them but in actuality what i did was i removed the boss battle because it would have been too much for two players and also i wanted there to be something different when big boy chungus played it the second time so i took three npcs and the boss out before we played and put them back in after so there was no boss they were just supposed to fight a bunch of automatons at once and that was the boss so they go on to one ship and they perception no one's on board it's a bunch of deactivated bodies no one's on board they find the engine room and they're like let's blow this thing up but then big boy chungus is like you know what that might not be a smart move because then we're gonna have to get off the ship and everything and uh bone claw scale scan is still with them by the way just because that's gonna be relevant in a second and Boneball's, uh, he's like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't blow this thing up. Nobody's on it. What's the point? The NPC just straight up tells them that. But then they steer it into a coral reef where it gets stuck. And even though it's stuck, they destroy the steering. And then even though it's stuck and the steering is destroyed, Joe still blows it up. And when he blows it up, he knocks them all into the water Big Boy Chungus takes damage from debris falling at them while they're swimming away. Bone Tooth falls onto a friggin' He falls onto a friggin' <laughs> He falls into the coral reef and breaks his arm. And then when they get back to When they get back to the shore, our ranger tries to fix it with a healing spell. But he rolls a nat 1. He rolls a crit fail. So he fuses the bone in the arm so the arm is just completely straight. He has to break it again. But it still won't heal back correctly because that joint is just gone now. Luckily, uh, part of his payment was a fishing kit originally. But then his other payment was split up loot. But there wasn't. that was found at the compound. But there wasn't any other loot found at the compound. So what he did was he took the sword arm from one of them earlier and was like we don't have metal like this on the island it'll make a fine blade uh but if we ever come back to it he's gonna have he's gonna have a mechanical arm with a blade on it so that's 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 kind of the headcanon is he replaced his uh <laughs> he replaced his arm with that mechanical arm and just had the turtles use magic so he could manipulate it but uh yeah, so they do that to the first boat. Then they disable the steering on three more boats. And I'm. it took like 40 minutes, and my face was in my hands the whole time. This was all online over Discord, so they couldn't see me. <laughs> and it was absolutely insane, because they rolled like four perception checks. How, okay, let's see. They rolled 
one, two, three, four, five, six perception checks on the boat to see if they, uh, if anyone was on them. They all said no one was on them. Right? That's six perception checks. I told them no one was on them because they were all deactivated after they put the souls in the computer. And Bone Tooth told them no one was on the ship. So that's nine times, right, that they were told that no one was on the ships, but they still did all that anyways. Other than that, they played really well. Especially when they took a bath. Because there was... Cause, they were, it was so stupid. There was this one part where they took a bath at the Lizard Folk Inn in this big community bath. Don't It was called the uh, Loose Scale. Don't know why they did that because Orga offered them a free place to stay and gave them a little wink and a kissy face. But they paid to stay at an inn anyways. Using some leather goods they had. So he got in the community bath and when joe got in the community bath he got naked and they saw his ding dong to the two lizard folk that were in there and they were like what's that because they'd never seen a big mammal schlong before and he said it was his dorsal fin and they were like that's not dorsal because <laughs> lizard folk have cloacas obviously everyone knows that but uh, it was just a real funny moment uh and then so they returned back to the saurians say they've defeated everyone and the saurians give them this giant crate like up to their neck full of like gold nuggets uh, after it's processed it's all going to be about two thousand gold so a thousand gold each like it's a big reward a really big reward and joe tries to steal it all he uses a levitation spell to levitate the gold and he uh slaps big boy chungus succeeded very well on both and uh, went out the door. But on the way out the door, he rolled low to get past the guards. One of these giant 12-foot-tall dinosaur guards rolled a 16. The other, nat 20. So one guard slaps him to the ground, doing two damage, and the other stomps on him and holds him in place, doing eight damage. Exactly 10. You know how much health he had? exactly 10 so he was knocked unconscious the guards carried him like a baby to the prison and then when they got to the prison the saurian prison cells were too big to keep him in because he could slip through the bars so they put him in an animal cage and then gave him a little costume that they would put on their pets because they didn't have prison cloth uh, small enough for him prepared yet. So it was like the ultimate humiliation for betraying his friend. Uh, and then Big Boy Chungus not only got the full reward, but he also got a little action from Orga, too. Took her out for drinks and then went back to her place, you know what I'm saying? I can't get any more graphic than that, but it, there were some very funny graphic moments. But that is, uh, the majority of that campaign. I made some vlogs about it, uh, for YouTube recently uh speaking of which if you're listening to this on youtube be sure to check it out on spotify or apple Podcasts or somewhere because they get uploaded sometimes weeks earlier than they do get uploaded on youtube but it was just a really fun beta test i can't wait to add the three npcs and boss battle back into it to see how they fare with that because it's gonna be pretty tough because the the boss is stronger than a T-Rex. 
It's a really strong boss. So, uh, it's basically Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> so, uh, that's really it for today. I told my Star Wars role-playing stories. Uh, I told the two stories that were sent to me, and I, uh, told about our recent D&D beta test, and we'll have a much better podcast on a different playthrough of that same, sort of same, uh, quest later. For now, uh... I guess I'm going to sign off, but if you want to submit your own tabletop gaming stories that you would want us to read aloud on the podcast, be sure to uh, submit them to b3podcasts at gmail.com. Once again, that is B the letter, 3 the number, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Also, check out our Patreon uh, you can check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter at B3 Productions, and there's even merch. All of that should be found in the description. Uh, the merch is pretty good. Not only do we have merch on our eBay page, but we also have lots of gaming stuff. We're selling Hero Clicks, we're selling Pokemon cards, Yu Gi Oh cards, uh, all kinds of cool gaming stuff is on there as well. So that's it. Thank you all once again for your support, and I will see you all next time when hopefully we have guests for one thing. And fate knocks at your door.